it's Cecilia and Megan. Let us distract you while driving, cleaning, working out, or not working out. Actually, what in the dang heck? Just grab some wine and chill. It'll be like eavesdropping and a girls' night all wrapped up into one. super exciting and super then stoked back <laughs> with my other best friend Marilis and Hi. yeah there she is and to have two of my best friends and two of my bridesmaids on the podcast is just so exciting so Marilis any words about what just happened the last 15 minutes um us pretty much hanging out <laughs> and me telling you about what a dystopian city new york city has become Wait, okay, yeah so elaborate please yeah, so everyone elaborate. can be in on this <laughs> this is it's totally her heck no yeah. yeah yeah it's my heck no so i haven't been home since before easter i feel like i need to give that background so things were bad with the pandemic but where is home new york city okay new york city visiting my family haven't seen them since easter and um went to my former parish for Catholic Underground, they have it first Saturday a month. The CFRs run this beautiful holy hour. And I walk into the church and they have on the pews these signs that say vaccinated. And I guess it's for people who are vaccinated. I was just so angry when I saw this. Initially, I only saw one sign. I was like, okay, I, you know, what's this? And then later, as I was leaving the church, I saw them on every other pew or so. And I just thought, I cannot believe this is actually happening where they're segregating people on their vaccination status. Mm. Um, and I mentioned it to a friend that I was with and he was, you know, I guess, I don't know if he's just more benevolent than I am, but he was like, well, maybe this is just a way for people to feel more at peace about coming to church. And it's like, you should feel uh, peace coming to church regardless because you're receiving the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter. Right. Amen. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Literally. No, this I is just, literally Susan from the parish council taking her job way too seriously. It's like, where have our heart clergy that would go in to the like to serve the sick and dying and not the lepers and not worry about I might get this virus that I have a 99% right. chance of surviving when we're not living for this world anyway. Right. I, my whole thought throughout this entire freaking year and a half, what are we on two years at this point has literally been, okay, so what about like the martyrs or like the underground church yeah. or like any of that? Like, is that just yeah. irrelevant to us in our faith now? We are so I'm like, weak. There are priests that literally travel from South Korea into North Korea mm -hmm. right. as quote unquote doctors when they're right. actually priests. Like this is happening all over the world, like in sneaking into communist countries. Like, why do you think, what's that um, priest's name in Hawaii who went to live on an island with the lepers? And ended up, Molokai. Yeah, he healed yes. a ton of them. And then he ended up getting leprosy and dying. Yeah. Like, yeah. like what happened to putting your yeah. life, life yeah. down, you know? Right. And serve, like yeah. doing your job, like serving the parish. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Our, go ahead. 
Yeah, it just gets me so aggravated. Um, and it was so disheartening to see that, you know? Yeah. Memento Mori. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what, no, our priest literally did a homily last Sunday on this. Um, and he said, we're in a world uber focused on death to the point that even Christians fear death more than life itself. So like including like bringing more kids into the world or avoiding mass in person for fear of a sickness or all this kind of stuff. And he was like, Jesus literally would touch lepers and we're afraid to shake someone's hand or hug them right now. Yes. And we just like totally taken the embrace of like a physical thing that means so much and like just made it nasty and like disgusting. And I'm like, this what world do we live in? Right, exactly. And we're selfish for wanting to right. hug or touch or right. be at mass or what. Right. Right. And it's, it's yeah, just the fact that it's infiltrated so much into the church and just yeah. with everything. Yeah. It's, I mean, Fat Lord no. Jesus come now, please. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always say, I'm like, if something is not truth, it will always contradict itself. Right. And like that's what we're seeing time and time again is everything is contradicting itself. So, I mean, and everything's just like extreme visceral reactions, which is not from God. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's not. Fear is not of him. It never is. It never has been. So, so here we are. Um, Okay. So I'm going to say my heck no, because it also has to do with signs. So Marilyn's and I were at a wedding. (laughs) Oh no. We won. I'm nervous. Oh, you should. Uh, this is something, Megan. I have a video, but I'm too scared to show it because I don't want it to be vandalism. <laughs> That's literally okay. What I wanted to, I wanted to rip all these signs down from the churches and I didn't want to get arrested for destroying property. I know. <laughs> so we walk into this bathroom of a reception hall and there's a whole, like, think of an Easter egg basket full of mm-hmm. condoms. <laughs> And it's such, it's like a Baptist like church, but they have like a big or whatever. There was this basket full of condoms. So this is a Catholic wedding reception. So Marilis and I, or I I'm dumping them out in the, in the, in the garbage. And then, and then I see this (laughs) sign next to it and it's like, get your abortion here. And it was like in a plastic thing stuck on the wall. So I took it out of the plastic thing, ripped it up, threw it in the garbage, threw some paper towels over it. So no one noticed Marilis comes in. I'm like, dude, we gotta wait till stash comes. Cause he's got to go in the men's bathroom, rip it up and dump all those condoms out. Oh Marilis is like, you don't have to wait for him. She walks in the men's bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Literally does the same thing. And she's like, take care of that. <laughs> it was just so disgusting. I could not, it was, yeah, it was our friend's Catholic wedding reception at a Baptist hall, Baptist church yeah. hall. And it was, yeah. It's like, here, welcome to the party. Go get it on with yeah. no consequences. And right. also later, if that condom doesn't work, here's your other way yeah. out. If the condom oh breaks, here you go. Call 1-800, get your abortion here. Yeah. Jeez. It was insane. Yeah. And like Marilis and I were like, I feel like we need to like incense this place. <laughs> Exercise, like pray to live in prayers over myself. holy water. <laughs> I know Seriously. I'm like, we need to like use this like healing oil everywhere. <laughs> Spray some like exercise salt, holy water. Right. Seriously. Oh my gosh. 
Well, but, those are two super heck no's. Yeah. All right, Mine Meg, what's like yours? So lame compared to those. Uh, nail appointments mean nothing, I guess. I went in <laughs> at 4.20 for my 4.30 appointment. And here's my thing. Here's my thing. Like now that I'm a mom, I'm even more like you're either on time and an appointment means something or it's not happening because chances are I've had to get a babysitter. I've had to schedule this out with Avery. I've had to whatever so that I can get out of the house to do this. Same thing with the ultrasound with um, this baby. They won't let Carrie in, but they'll let Avery in because COVID. What? Even though what? Carrie, what that makes no I, sense. I don't know. Carrie bounced back from COVID within two days. Meanwhile, Avery and I, it took us like six, six to eight. <laughs> so I'm like, that makes no sense. So we have to get babysitters, right? But then when they're late or appointments mean nothing to them, I'm like, this is completely disrespectful to my time, to other people's time. This is annoying. So I get to places early because I'm like, I'm going to give them some extra time. I'm going to show them that this is important to me. Mm-hmm. And I got there early and 4.50 rolls around. And in the meantime, someone, I'm just sitting there waiting. Someone walked in and they said, sorry, we're full. We can't take anymore. And she was like, I have an appointment at 4.30. And they just didn't say anything. And she just sat down next to me. And I'm sitting here thinking, you're going to be here for a hot second, girlfriend. Um, Cause they didn't even know you had an appointment today. <laughs> Oh my and God. I asked the lady, I'm like, so when, how much longer? Cause it's four 50 and I've got to go like, what's going on. And she said, Oh, he's finishing nails back there and he'll do you in a second. I'm like, no, no, no. I need like 10 minutes, five minutes, 20 minutes. What's it going to be? She's like, Oh, he almost done. And then he'll get you. And I'm like, okay, he I'm going to go. <laughs> go. I'm like, not trying to be like disrespectful, but I'm literally reiterating how she said it. And I was like, yeah. no, I'm, I'm going to go. And she's like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, mm, I don't think you are because you're not even telling either of us straight up professionally right. what's going on here. And I am i don't like it. So I left and I was bummed about it. But I'm more bummed about the vaccine papers on your pews than I am about my nail yeah. appointment. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. here's the thing. Marilis and I figured out we both have a nail girl and we just text them. That's, that's what I do. Yeah. And I haven't been, I haven't been able to go get my nails done since I got back from Italy. And, but I refuse. My mom was like, just get them done here. And I, but I refuse to go to anybody else. I, I feel like I'm cheating on her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I just can't do it. I can't. Yeah. Well, I mean, if she treats you that well, then yeah, I would do the He's same so thing. so great. But at this point, I'm like, no, I'm going to cheat on you and go somewhere else because yes. my appointment yeah. means nothing. Yeah. <laughs> if my girl did that to me, which she never would, but if she did, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't go to her anymore. Yeah. 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 You yeah. really have to. Yeah. Like you'll eventually find a good girl and then you'll just be like, Hey, what's your name? Like, can I have your number? I'll just text you yeah. when I'm coming, you know, and like tip her really well and she'll do anything yes. for you. That's- exactly it. i mean that's like a bartender you tip them well know, and then all of a sudden like, drinks start like like coming off your tab going. randomly yeah you know well, that's that's literally solidifying the fact that these appointments mean nothing unless you've like got yes. a number or whatever because they don't right. keep track of their appointments they just say they just say yeah I'll see you at 4 30 we'll make it happen and meanwhile this other lady comes in for a 4 30 appointment too at the same time as me and they didn't even know she had an appointment i'm like oh, okay they're probably yeah they're clearly not even keeping track of they the don't appointments have an appointment they're making sheet. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, time is money, honey. Exactly. Honey. Okay. Heck yeses. We need okay. some, some life up in here. Um, okay. Well for me, my heck yes is that stash has literally had two weekends in a row where they just didn't schedule him for work on Friday. So we've just been seeing each other for like three days in a wow. row, which is pretty cool. Um, and then I'll see him again this weekend. And I think it's, it's also a three-day weekend because Monday is Columbus day. 
Yes. If that's not canceled yet. So, oh yeah. I was going to say that they didn't replace that with some other, (laughs) some other holiday. Oh, you know what they did? I'm pretty sure it's national coming out day. Oh gosh. Are you Let me look that up because, um, on my Google calendar, so on my Google calendar, I didn't have holidays for some reason. And so I was looking up, I'm like, why does stash have off next Wednesday or next Monday? It's indigenous people's day plus Columbus day. They like plus national coming out day. Okay. Every day is five days for someone or something. So, you know what? We're going to have to have red, white, and blue and rainbow. And yeah. (laughs) The silence said it all. <laughs> we all know where we stand on this issue. <laughs> all right. Marilis, heck yes. My heck yes. I'm still on my Italy high. Dude, how long were you there? It looked amazing. For like almost four months. Oh, so my I'm just glowing. I'm just, I'm just 20 pounds up, lighter. Like, rounding up to four months. <laughs> just milking it. It was incredible. It was just such a gift because it was so unexpected. Um, I wasn't planning on staying that long. And somehow it came together for me to be able to stay that long. So we tell the story of when you were flying there, two people randomly came up to me like, I feel like you're just going to stay in Italy. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, I forgot about that. That's right. Before I left, some random lady was like, you're, oh yeah, the woman that I, um, outside of the Planned Parenthood where I pray and do sidewalk counseling. Yeah. She asked me, she was like, are you, are you, what are you doing this summer? And I said, oh, I'm going to Italy in a few days, you know, going to go stay for a couple weeks at, you know, and she said, oh, you're going to move there. And I was like, what? Like, I, you know, I have a life in DC and I can't just pick up and leave. Um, and then on the airplane, as we were, um, getting off the plane, I think we had, I had a layover in Atlanta and it was there that the lady, this other woman was like, Oh, are you, were you headed? You know, she was chatting and I said, I'm going to Italy. And I think everybody on this flight, because at the time they were still doing COVID flights only, um, everybody on this flight had a connection in Atlanta that we were then going to go from Atlanta to Rome. And I was like, yeah, I'm headed to Rome too. And she said, Oh, are you going to move there? And I was like, what? No. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> it was so random. But then you did like for four months. So yeah, then I did. And she's going back. When? Back. Hopefully in February. I got my plane tickets for February 11th, 8th or 11th. I got to double check, but that sometime that week. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what a life. God is funny. You know, I just wasn't expecting to stay for as long. And then it just fell into my lap. A friend randomly had an apartment that was empty and you know she offered me to stay there for free she said she had paid off the rent until September and so I and so I took her up on it two days before I was supposed to fly home (laughs) oh my gosh I love that though it was crazy it was so just I mean that just I just know it was of God because how do things like that just happen you know they don't that's not some random coincidence thing that just happens. Right. I was, um, I love Italy. I lived there for a time prior to this summer. And um, I saw my former mother superior while I was there. And just out of the blue too, she was like, why don't you move back to Rome? You just are so free and you're Wait, Can you explain what a mother superior is? Yeah. So my 
Uh, a mother superior is the sister in charge of the congregation at, you know, at the time. So she was the mother superior for the, my first three years of religious life. So they're not mother superior forever. Um, they have a term. And so for my order, her term was six years and then she could be reelected for another six. So this mother superior had served for a total of 12 and I caught her at the tail end of her time as mother. Wow. And she and I are very close. I call her my spiritual mother. Um, and I still call her mother, even though she's not mother anymore. And she's in Rome now. And so we were catching up, hadn't seen her since before the pandemic. And um, that's when, you know, we were just chatting and completely, we weren't even talking about me moving to Rome or living in Italy. It just was completely out of the blue. And she just stopped and she was like, you should just move back here, move back to Rome. And I was like, what? You know, I can't just, <laughs> can't that's just three times. That's three times what? now. <laughs> but I mean, coming from her because she knows me so well, you know, when someone knows yeah. you so well, um, and is just somebody that I really take what she says to heart. And um, I just was felt like I can't just pick up and leave. You know, yeah. I have a life in Washington. And she was like, you're so completely free and yourself here. And she's like, not that you're not that in D.C., but it's just seeing you so fully alive in oh. Rome. That's something. And so I left for CC the next day to go visit the tombs of St. Francis and St. Clair and blessed Carlo Acutis. And at the tomb of St. Francis, I was like, I don't know what mother, um, you know, why she said that, why she said I should move back to, to Rome. But if, you know, somehow it's God's will, you need to intercede for me to St. Francis. I said this mm -hmm. at his tomb, prayed this at his tomb. And literally five hours later, got a DM from this girl I went to college with. And we weren't even great friends, like super close yeah. friends in college. We just knew each other through campus ministry. And she invited me to stay longer. She said, um, you can stay in my apartment. She was getting married that summer. So it was moving into her new apartment um, that she'd be living in with her husband. So she had her other apartment wow. just sitting empty, fully furnished. And, um, and I, she was like, I was like, oh, are you going to um, sublet it? And she said, no, it's rent paid through the, until the fall. And I, she was like, so if you need, you know, someplace to crash, if you decide to stay in Italy longer, which I hadn't talked to anybody about this right. and it even being a possibility at all, because it wasn't a possibility in my mind. Um, and she said, yeah, so if you want to stay, you know, it's yours. And it was like I right told, in the heart of Rome. Yeah. And oh, I was like, I need gosh. to, I was like, let me think about this. I, um, you know, I need to like, I keep, I'm supposed to go back to the United States in two days. <laughs> You had yeah. a job. I had a job. I had, you know, like school was coming up. Um, yeah. By the way, Marilis is in a doc doctorate program. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. For clinical psychology. Jeez. But so she, so I went back to Rome and I remember it was a Sunday. I went to mass with mother at St. Peter's. And then afterwards um, we went and prayed a rosary together at the tomb of John Paul II. And I remember asking JP too, like, what do I do? What do you know, what do I do? Give me some kind of clarity. Um, and the only word that kept coming back to me in prayer was stay, just stay. And so I did, I didn't take that flight. It was too late to cancel it, but I just didn't take it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, and so that too. added how much time to your trip? How long was your trip originally supposed to be? My trip was only supposed to be two weeks and I ended up staying four months. Wow. 
Holy crap. This girl definitely went shopping. <laughs> That's so fun. Because I only brought a carry-on, you know? It, I only had was- a carry-on and a backpack. <laughs> It was so funny when I came to Rome, like, I'm so glad Marilis was there. But when I came, I was like, so like, have you been like cooking, whatever? She's like, no, I never touched like a pot or pan. She's like, every day I get, she's like, I get, what'd you say? I get a cappuccino and a croissant and yeah. then I get like pasta and then I get gelato. She's like, it's that perfect. Gelato. That's well-rounded. gelato for dinner every night. Oh, yeah. oh I miss it. Um, I was like I love this woman so much and then like Marilis is so humble but she's literally the smartest woman I know she speaks like so many different languages like fluent Italian like she's just incredible so she doesn't give herself enough credit but thanks Cece oh of course (laughs) But okay, okay, we want to jump in to well before we jump in to talking about Marilis as a sister for mm. it was eight years, seven years, yeah, eight, eight years. years. Wow. Um, because there's just so many questions about that. Like, how many mm-hmm. times? Like, I didn't even know sisters existed until I was like 18. So yeah. I never had seen one at all until I was 19. <laughs> never in my life. So Whoa. it was like, you know, some people just literally don't know. Um, and that wasn't something like that you grew up talking about? No, no. not at all. I thought no. they were only in like the books called like Madeline, you know, Madeline. Yeah. Madeline. <laughs> oh, I love that series. Yes. I was like, they're only in Europe, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So um, anyways, Meg, you want to take it away? Yes. Because it's a candle company. <laughs> Kerygma Candles um, is woman-owned Catholic shop, single mama, um, they make organic, uh, natural ingredient, handcrafted candles, which was never important to me until I had a kid. And then I realized like, I like to burn candles so much that I hope the fumes I'm burning into the air aren't going to negatively impact my child's health. <laughs> and so now I'm like constantly on the lookout for not only a good smelling candle, but one that is naturally and organically made so that it's healthy to burn for hours on end. She's offering code HEC10. H-E-C-K, number one, number zero, for 10% off of your purchase. And she also has a newly launched bath and body line um, and a holiday launch that just launched this October 1st. Um, And it's like a self-care collection created specifically with mamas in mind, but girls in general, we love that self-care bath bomb um, kind of, I mean, you could buy a candle and a bath bomb and all the things from her and have the best night of your life in your bathtub. So and you get 10% off. In your okay, literally, there's a holiday collection. And let me tell you, her candles are beautifully, like beautifully looking. Yes. Um, and if you don't know how to spell Kerygma, it's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A candle, C-A-N-D-L-E.com. But it's so freaking cute. And what do you, like, it would be the best stocking stuffer mm. or gifts. Like if your kids go to a private school, gifts for yes. the teachers, like this is- yeah. No, never too early to holiday shop. And the super cute thing is everything they create has scripture on it and is inspired by our Catholic faith. So every single candle sticker has like a scripture verse on it. And Kerygma literally means preaching of the apostles. So this is like her little way of ministry to reach people with the gospel through her candles and all of that. And I just think that's so cool. I want some. I know. I'm looking at them now. I want some. 
They're so beautifully like photographed too. I just, her whole page just smells good to me. <laughs> it looks like Magnolia, like Target, yeah, Joanna. No, it it's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Dang. Dang girl. Yeah. All of okay, her links so- are in our show notes. Oh yeah. Um, and her Instagram is at K-E-R-Y-G-M-A candle C-O. So candle co. Candle co. All right, Marilis, tell us your dirt. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> okay, well, let's just start from the beginning. Yes. How old and when did you know you were called to religious life to be a sister? Because you definitely knew it wasn't going to be a cloistered kind of thing. <laughs> I actually thought about thought about the cloister for a time. And I um, had told people, I, I really do believe this, that if Jesus ever calls me back to religious life, it's going to be to a cloister. What? Okay, ever yeah. cloister is like literally explain. It's like, yeah, explain cloister versus so, uh, cloister so versus there are, Yeah, there are two types of religious um, orders. There's active orders and then contemplative cloistered orders um so active sisters and brothers they go out into the world and have apostolates which are jobs um in the world so they're either teachers or are in healthcare or work with the poor or i mean just the list goes on and on and then cloistered communities never leave the monastery or the convent so their main apostolate their main work is prayer they pray so padre pio Padre Pio was active because he went out and had like, his hospital confessions, had his hospital. Oh, true. Yeah. True. So a cloister okay, wow. would be like um, the poor Clares, if anybody's ever heard of the poor Clares mm-hmm. or um, there's Carmelites that are Carmelites cloistered. that are cloistered. Yeah. Wow. Like St. Therese. Cloistered. Okay. And Lisieux, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she was cloistered. She and her sisters wow. were cloistered. So they devote all their time to prayer. So how I think of it is like cloistered sisters are like the furnace of the church. Sorry, I don't know what's going on with me, all the sirens, but they keep it going with prayers. And Marilis, you were not cloistered. Cloistered is a nun, not cloistered is a sister. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I was not in a cloister. I was in an active community. So we did pray a lot. Um, A lot of our day was prayer, but then the sisters, uh, we had more jobs outside of the convent so anywhere from healthcare, um and education to working directly for the church which is what I did um before I went back to school my sisters sent me back to school and um yeah just wherever the church called my my um community in particular our charism was to make Christ's merciful love visible and so really anywhere the church needed us to do that we did so if a bishop you know called and said we need your sisters to teach at this school and if mother had sisters to send then they would go yeah yeah so wait how old were you when this happened you might have already said that yeah so I um well I actually started feeling cultural just life at a very young age I think I was probably around four years old Um, what this is the daughter my dad wishes I was (laughs) well I didn't even realize I didn't realize it went back that far you know okay Um, but I have my grandmother still she has pictures that I would draw of me as a sister and I would say I'm oh this is me with Jesus I'm a bride of Jesus what yeah I'm telling you Marilis is something else 
Oh and my I don't gosh. really even remember that, you know, and then I did journal about it. I remember like in fourth grade journaling about it in my Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen journal. <laughs> um, because when I did, when I did really start seriously, you know, X amount of years later in college, really start seriously discerning the convent um, and entering religious life. My mom was just so kind of besides herself. She, um, I grew up in a Catholic family, but the idea of her oldest daughter joining a convent was just so like foreign um, for her. And it was really hard for her to accept. And my sister was like, why are you so upset about this? She's been journaling about this since we were kids. Cause she would read my sister's journal. journal. (laughs) Sisters. Wait. So did your family talk about it growing up? Like this is an option. What? Never, never. I'm like an anomaly. My family's super woke. Okay. (laughs) Okay. We won't go into that, but just, just take the gun. Well, cause I'm picturing Cece, you said the same. You never talked about it, never heard of it. And meanwhile, I'm over here and at like four years old, my dad's showing me photos of like nuns playing soccer to make it relatable for me to want to do to no. be a nun and so I'm like trying to gauge like okay where were you at sister sister like, by the way yeah. sorry sister. that would have been a sister yeah. not a nun uh <laughs> all I knew was that I did not feel called um but that was like a conversation we had in our home and that wasn't yeah. even a conversation in your home no never oh never gosh. a conversation in my home I went to Catholic school and we had okay um sisters at my school but it was never okay. again just like given to me as an option of this is something right you can do with your life I always thought of it as like, um, I always thought of sisters as almost like a different breed of human. <laughs> you know, superpower. I mean? they felt so different and just kind of separate from the rest of the world and the rest, you know, they, and yeah. like all the sisters at my school were a lot older. So, you know, when you're a child, you think that like they were never young <laughs> at some yeah. point. Um, and so that's really this. And the sisters didn't really um, outside of teaching didn't really like, I never saw them out at parish functions or school functions. Um, they were just very separate from, I guess the community. So even then it was never, never something that I thought, you know, I could do, um, even though it was like this desire already at a very young age to give my life to Jesus. But, um, it wasn't until I was really in, in college that I, I, heard of you know discerning religious life just that phrase of discernment and that one discerns their vocation um I went to Catholic University and there were tons of sisters on campus and Mm -hmm. the 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 little town where um it's in DC but like the neighborhood that that CUA is in is just lots of monasteries and lots of Catholic Disneyland yeah it really there's so many different orders there and so I didn't really have to look very far when I did start discerning um, to start asking questions and learning about mm-hmm. different orders and things like that. So it was really in college when it became something I seriously started doing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So and then, even then, I, oh, sorry. Even, no, then I was, going. even then I was super secretive about it. I didn't want my friends to know because it just seemed like such like a foreign weird right. thing to be doing you know I was like 18 years old um and I just well, I was just very private and I still kind of am about these things but just very private about 
that I was talking to, to sisters and that I was asking questions and that I was praying about this. And I think initially it was probably because I was kind of freaked out by it yeah. and like, you know, to desire something that wasn't I, in my mind natural or something that I saw growing up right. or saw, um, it was just such like an odd thing. And so I was like, what, is, you know, what is, what is this? But the more I avoided it, um, the more it kept popping up in my prayer. And just like, it was almost like this little crush I had, you know, like when yeah. you're like, I don't want to crush on this person, but uh-huh. I am anyway, like, that's really what it felt like. Um, so yeah. So the more I prayed about it, the more it felt like this is what my heart desires. And so then went from there with when you were 18, you went and like, that's when you discerned and when you chose to go that No, route? So that's when I really, I started discerning was I was 18. Okay. Yeah. And then I joined at 20. Okay. And how did you pick? Cause there's so many different, like, what are they called orders? Yeah. So I visited a ton of different communities. Um, like I said, at CUA, there were so many there for me to be able to, to talk to you and get to know. But when I, um, really was feeling like this is what I was going to do with my life. I did start going to different orders, mother houses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the three that I visited the most were my community was a Franciscan community. And then the Nashville Dominicans and um, the little sisters of the poor. Okay. And I mean, all this, all the communities I went and visited, even besides you know, in addition to those three were I love, you know, I felt they're beautiful, etc. But when I went to my sisters for the first time, I um, just immediately felt very much like myself. And I, I hate to admit this, but I like just had a very skewed um, stereotype in my mind of what Franciscans were, because you see St. Francis with the birds, right? Yeah. And I was just like, I hope they're not all like super into the environment. <laughs> <laughs> not that not that we shouldn't care about the environment but I was just like there are bigger things in the world yeah. to be worrying about you know um and like so, I don't want to be with hippies and I also yeah. want to wear shoes <laughs> yeah I wanted, <laughs> and I keep wanted, my hair <laughs> right I wanted to just you know I figured and I think a lot of people who are discerning probably are in the same boat where if I'm going to give my life to the Lord if I'm going to join religious life I want to do so radically And so I wanted to wear the habit. I wanted um, a community that was in union with the church. I wanted, you know, just a community that was just like completely on fire with love for the Lord and for his church. And so I didn't really care what kind of work the sisters did, what, you know, what their habit looked like, but as long as they had one. um, And so I was like, like I said, I just had this false stereotype of what I thought Franciscans were. And when I visited my sisters, they were just so joyful and um, completely in love. In St. Louis, right? Yeah, right outside of St. Louis. Yeah. And um, they, I just felt very much myself right away. Um, Whereas with the other communities I visited, I would like, (laughs) I would agonize over what I would wear to these convents, you know? (laughs) You're like, how long does the skirt have to be? (laughs) Yeah. How long does the skirt have to be? Are my shoulders covered? Like, am I, you know, I didn't want to look like I was already in the convent, but I wanted to look, you know, like nice. And so, um, but with my sisters, I like was like, well, I don't really feel called to the Franciscans anyway, so I don't care what I'm wearing. 
<laughs> but then when That's I got perfect. there, when I got there, like I didn't, there was no sense of, you know, when you uh, meet someone new or you're, you're at a new place, there's like almost kind of like a sense of being self-conscious mm-hmm. and I didn't felt, feel self-conscious at all. And just, yeah, it was, I think I stayed three or four days and I loved yeah. it. I just, but I didn't realize it until after I left. Um, okay. When the sister was driving me back to the airport as we were leaving, I just was so sad. And she asked me in the car, she was like, so are you looking forward to going back? I was going back to my college, um, to going back to school. And I like lost it in the car, just was like sobbing in the car. And she was, she looked at me like, what's wrong? (laughs) And I, um, and she, I was like, I don't know why I'm crying right now. And she was like, well, the Lord's clearly saying something. And I was like, well, I don't know what it is. And and yeah, and she, I remember going back to school and all I could think about while I was at school was the sisters and not really the sisters themselves, but you know, like Right. their life in prayer and so I'd be in class I remember being in class one day my, an English class and thinking if I were um with the sisters right now I'd be in um at midday prayers or if I were there right now I'd be in the adoration chapel right. or I'd be you know it was always back to that life of prayer yeah and so I went back a few months later it was I think I went back my spring break and I asked mother sorry my nephew can you hear him it's okay it's okay typically it's Carrie or my dog so yeah it's normal Um, so I asked to enter I asked mother if I could have an application to enter and the application process is super long um but completed that so that's you know a whole application itself and then a psychological evaluation all kinds of doctor's appointments um letters of recommendations you have to get and oh and I had to write like an autobiography (laughs) <laughs> I want to nice. read that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to read it too. You know, I'd love to read what I wrote at the time. Um, What's really cool is the parallel to you telling this story is so similar to all of the love stories I ever hear. The love story between Avery and I, like the not feeling self-conscious, the being so sad when you have to leave and realizing, wait, maybe this is what like my yeah. vocation is. Like that's right. such a parallel. And just so, such an unexpected too. Yeah, you know, like I wasn't expecting. You weren't looking. You were just right. I wasn't so true. Like right. you already like this. It was not to bring it back to me, but like it was the same thing with Stash. I was like, I wasn't yeah. expecting on the first date to like be into him. Right. So yeah, you know, like it's just so true. And someone had asked like how did Jesus romance your heart as a sister? And I thought yeah. I felt like that was such a good question. Right. Yeah. I think it just was very much, um, it's kind of hard to answer that because it's such like a not tangible thing. Right. I think even with relationships, it's hard to describe like what happens to your heart when, when you're being wooed. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and, but there was just such a peace and a joy unlike any other kind of joy I'd ever experienced before. And I remember, you know, there were the fears of like, well, I'm still in school and yeah. I had student loans that I had taken out to pay for school mm. and what's my family going to think and um, to leave the world behind was just kind of like a scary uh, thought too of like going into a complete, complete unknown, um, you know, because with marriage, you see people who are married, you kind of have right. you maybe have a semblance of an idea, even though you don't actually know until you're living and 
you know, um, living out your marriage with that person. But religious life was just such, such an unknown for me. Um, and I talked with a priest about this and he was like, if you, if none of those things were an issue, like pretend none of those things are there, you know, school isn't there. What all these fears you have aren't there where like your heart will immediately know where it desires to be. And I remember he was like, you, you don't even need to really think about it. It'll just be kind of like an immediate answer. Mm-hmm. And I remember him saying that. And I just thought, yeah, I would be, I would be at the convent. Yeah. And that was when I knew I needed to go back and ask, ask for an application. But yeah, it was just such like a, a piece of knowing yeah. that even though I didn't actually know what was coming, that it was yes. okay because I would be with him, That's you know, where like you my were love. supposed to be. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. we see it as like, as a sister or a nun, like you took vows to Jesus is the same way right. as like a woman and a husband would take a woman and a man would take vows to each other. Right. So right. if, if you want to just briefly explain, um, we're going to talk about made beloved real fast, but right before we do that, if you want to just talk about how that works, like the series of vows you take and what that structure is. Yeah. So a lot of people think that you enter religious life and you're a sister right away, a full-fledged sister, quote unquote. But there are actually a lot of steps before even like you say forever. Um, when you first enter, there's formation, um, that an intense formation takes place. It's postulancy for a year. And postulancy is really just you're still called your baptismal name, Um and you're just kind of living out the day-to-day every day and really um, starting to learn about the life. And then um, if you've, you know, discerned during postulancy and the community has discerned during postulancy that you're supposed to continue, then you become a novice. And that's when you receive the habit and the veil and your sister name. Mm-hmm. And the community and, can decide if you're not right for the community. Right. At any time, at any time, the community can say it's, you know, and that I saw that happen. Um, where the community can say, you know, we don't feel like you have a vocation here or et cetera. Um, and then you, you go home, but you can discern that too. It's really discernment, um, with religious life is between you and the community. It's never a one-sided thing. Um, and so then you become a novice and the first year of, uh, as a novice, you, are, um, it's almost like, it's probably as close to a cloister as active communities are gonna get because we don't really leave. And the entire year is devoted to prayer and really delving into the vows, what the vows are. So the three vows that um, sisters take are poverty, chastity, and obedience. And then um, studying church documents, studying, you know, the vows, like I said, and, and a then, priest doesn't take some, a lot of parish priests, it's not poverty, but they take a vow of chastity and obedience. Right. Obedience to their bishop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and prayer. So we just, lots of time, we had lots of holy hours and praying with the community too, but really just that time of um, prayer. And even our work was within the convent. So it was usually either in the kitchen or mm-hmm. um, housekeeping. Um, and that- I'm telling you, Marilis always said, she's like, being a sister was the best finishing school ever. Like I learned the best etiquette. I learned how to cook, clean, yeah. like all of it, how to, how to flower arrange all the things. Um, wow. and I, but even the work was done in silence, you know, so you're just really kind of contemplating 
um, what you're learning, what, 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 what's happening in prayer. Um, and then that's the first year of the novitiate. And then the second, second year as a novice for six months of the year, you go out on what we call mission and you're living, um, as a professed sister. So really you get assigned, uh, like a normal apostolate and my apostolate, I got kind of bounced around, but it ended up teaching, um, kindergarten, first grade religion, which I ended up loving and living with sisters who were in vows. And then after those six months are up, you go back and you intensely prepare to make first vows. And um, then you make first vows and you're a temporary professed sister after first vows. And then anywhere from three to six years after first vows, then you make final vows. So in, typically it's the full, you have the full six before you're invited for final vows. Got it. And, and you that's left when you, at five. I left after, yeah, five years of temporary vows. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So about Got a it. year, I would have made final vows in a year. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, if I had it left. And that whole time is discernment. Yes. The entire time is discernment. And after first vows, you renew your vows. And in my community, we renewed every year. And before renewal, mother would meet with your formator and her counsel and your superior of whatever convent you were at. And they would, you know, talk about you and um, vote on whether you could continue. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But like, you knew, like that, when that conversation happened, it was a really more of a formality. If you right. knew that like there was something not um, okay, or, you know, if there was the community was maybe questioning if you should renew vows or if you were questioning, right. like you would know it before that meeting with mother and her counselor right. took place. Right. It was never a surprise that, you know, that meeting would end and mother would come out and say, we discerned yeah. this isn't for you. You know, like, yeah, there was usually a lot of conversations before that. Um, yeah. Oh, I love this. Okay. Yes. Okay. We could keep talking forever. I'm going to real quick jump into made beloved. We talked about this last time, Laura, my girlfriend, she has a course she just created, whether you're married, engaged, dating, or single. So you can do this with your boyfriend, watch it together can be a stepping stone of deciding if you want to enter into something more, enter into a more serious relationship. Like Stash and I, obviously he's my fiance. We have access to it and we are going through it together. Or like, I know if you're single, you can, you can get to know yourself better and prepare your heart and habits to be ready to receive a man. So a lot of the times it's like, oh, well, I've never even dated. It's like, it's never too, too early to start working on yourself. And how do you work on yourself? Here's a tangible way to do so. So check it out. It's for Christians 18 and over. Enrollment doesn't start until October 15th. So next week, it's only a few days for enrollment, October 15th to the 22nd. And she's only offering a few spots. So that's why you need to get on this email list. So then you're notified when it opens up. So check it out. I will link everything in the show notes to see her website, but you can also get 15% off. She's been so generous, uh, 15% off with code heck yes, in all caps, H E C K Y E S in all caps. And I can't wait for you to just check it out. Laura has been such a blessing in my life and, um, I know she will for you too. So Everything is in the show notes, including the Instagram, because her Instagram is so aesthetically pleasing and great. Um, okay, Marilis. So yeah. can you describe kind of 
what it was like in the day. Like, I, I have a feeling we have a really big Catholic following on this podcast. Okay. A lot of Catholics. And, um, I think we just never get to hear like what it actually is like to be Mm -hmm. a sister. Um, in a nun, you, you know, you think like, Oh, there's praying all day. Okay, cool. But like as a sister living in the world, but also in this like divine place, what is it like day to day? Because a lot of women have not discerned whether they were called to religious life or married life. You hear the word discernment all the time, but actually technically the word discernment is only to decide whether it's marriage or, 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 um, I can't think religious of religious life. life. Yeah. If you yeah. want to just dig into that and then kind of tell us, give us an example of what that day-to-day life is after you take those final vows. Well, the day-to-day life is the same regardless of where you're at um, in your stage of formation, but our lives were very busy (laughs) and the days were always packed, which I was so appreciative of the schedule because it kept, you know, kept us on track, but pretty much um, the day began at 4.30 in the morning. (gasps) No. It's different for, (laughs) I can only speak on my experience, different orders have different schedules. Um, you know, some might not get up that early. Some might, uh, get to sleep in on weekends, but with my community, we got up Monday, you know, every day of the week at four 30 in the morning. And, um, it was very early and we had prayers at 5am. And we, so we prayed like all other religious orders, pray the divine office, the liturgy of the hours. Mm-hmm. And so we had morning prayer at 5, 5 a.m. And then um, followed by silent meditation for 30 minutes. And then after meditation, we had mass. And after mass, we had breakfast in silence. And then after breakfast, we would go off for work. Um, so that work varied for everybody. And then after, at midday, you would stop um and pray midday if you could, depending on the apostate, you know, like teachers can't just stop at 1130 to pray right. midday prayer. So they would pray later, for example. But if you could, you would stop at 1130 for midday prayers. And then at noon, we would have lunch. And then after lunch, if you could take some time, you would either have a free hour or a holy hour. Um, and then wait, what would work. you do? Would you sleep? I, I usually had a holy hour. Um, <laughs> But if I did have a free hour, I'd probably take a nap. <laughs> yeah, I would too. Like my little midday <laughs> nap where I just like sit in my room and crochet or something like silent yeah. um, to kind of like just decompress because the mornings are always so busy. And then back to work some more after that, um, after lunch, and then come back again in the evening for evening prayer. And then after evening prayer, we would have supper together in community. And then after supper, it depended on the night. But usually we had recreation twice a week, which was just hanging out with each other. Um, And or we would have Bible study or something. It was different every night, but usually it was recreation or Bible study. Or if it was a feast day, we would watch a movie. (laughs) Um, And then (laughs) and then after after that, we would have night prayer. Um, and once night prayer ended, it was silence, you know, it was called the grand silence. 
and you would you go to bed usually around 9 30 but I was a student whenever I was a student and when I was working too sometimes it just sometimes you had to stay up a little bit later but usually by 9 30 if you can go to bed is an ideal you know since we got up so early yeah I was gonna like I'm so strict about my sleep that I did the math instantly when you said 9 30 and I was like what that's yeah. it <laughs> And then I forgot to add that on Fridays, we had all night adoration on Fridays. So depending on the week, um, you would have a holy hour in the night. So usually my holy hour was 1 to 2 a.m. was what because you got to pick when you prayed. So that was my hour. My preferred hour is 1 to 2. Because, you know, you could nap before and then nap after before morning prayers. Oh, yeah. This makes yeah. sense. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> holy cow. That's okay. so crazy. Side side question. What do you guys sleep in? Because all anyone ever sees you guys in is habits. I love that question because <laughs> I, I asked that question. I, we slept in pajamas. Oh, like whatever kind you wanted. Yeah. Cool. Cute. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But if, and like, obviously didn't wear our veil to sleep. Right. Um, but if we did leave our bedrooms, we would put our veils on. Okay. And, yeah. and can you tell us about how they cut off your hair? What? <laughs> yeah. I thought that was after so, you were like committed and in, in. No, you, they cut off oh your hair before you become a novice. So when you receive the habit and the veil, You're it's, hard, it's hard to wear the veil and you know, it looked pretty with, uh, with all your hair, at least my hair is super curly and very thick. So they cut all my hair off. And that's when I really, I felt like, Jesus, I'm really giving you everything here. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because hair is like, honestly, sacred in a way. Like if you look at traditional Jewish culture, like women wear wigs, they don't even show their hair that only Mm -hmm. their husband, or like you look at Muslim culture, like they don't show their hair. They wear I forgot like a scarf. There's a technical for it, but there is something about hair. It's such a feminine part of us as women too. Yeah. And for me, like, I remember it just really pointed out my vanity because I was so like, I didn't care. I didn't like the, the dress we had to wear as postulants. I thought it was the ugliest thing, but I was like, whatever I can, you know, put up with this because I'm in the convent. This is, we just, we all have to go through it. But when we cut my hair, I was just so like, um, sad about it, you know? And I remember Thankfully, it was on the Feast of St. Clair when yeah. we cut our hair and, you know, her um, big symbol to the world that she was renouncing um, worldly luxury and mm-hmm. all these material things was to have St. Francis cut her hair at the altar. And so I remember a sister drawing me like a little picture of St. Clair getting her hair cut and leaving it on a sticky note on my desk. Oh, right before the hair with like, like scissors right before yeah. the haircut the place and I just was like yeah like it was a good reminder for me of why yes. I was doing it um yeah so wow. oh my gosh it grows back <laughs> it does it did true. she now has long beautiful yeah. thick hair yeah, yeah. that Filipina yeah. hair <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so good. Okay. So I want you to tell, this is one of my favorite stories or just like facts is, um, the chapel voice and like the charisms of different orders of like how they move their hands and like, you know, stuff like that. So I feel very like, this is 
one of the reasons I love Therese now so much is because she would talk about this with her own sisters, just like the little things in community life that irk you, you know? And you just, I think we forget how, um, how sensitive we become to like people's behaviors, especially when you're living in such close quarters. And so I, you know, really grew in a lot of patience because you live with so many people and a lot of women that have very different personalities than you. Um, and so one of my like biggest pet peeves in the convent, and I know I'm not the only one, whether sisters will admit this or not, because we talked about it, but was the chapel voice. I call it the chapel voice. Um, and it's that <laughs> voice that you have in pr- when you're praying it, your voice suddenly changes. Inflection, it's like, do it, do it. <laughs> like, like when you're praying, let's say you're praying the Hail Mary, you know, and all of a sudden you're in the chapel and it's like, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Like this sing-songy, like sweet. And I was like, you don't even sound like that. You don't sound like that when you talk to me. So, oh gosh, all these little idiosyncrasies that like the Lord really used to help me grow in patience. <laughs> you would get in trouble for having your New York accent. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I was told I had to tone down the New York accent. I was like, but this is, what do you That's mean? Tony you. Like, I mean, yeah, this was me, but it just, oh I mean, looking back, I can see like the wisdom in it now that, you know, it was maybe it sounded, I don't know, but it just want, you know, there's a decorum that needs to be put out that everybody is kind of uniform. Um, so a sister being like a letter from, you know, from St. Paul to the whatever, I had a very thick New York accent at the time and probably sounded a abrasive I don't know but I was have to tone it down but yes the chapel voice oh my goodness I hear it now even sometimes oh Um, I hear it whenever we go to mass together (laughs) yeah it comes out because it's so conditioned yeah it's so I love it so much or like you know I mean like I like Cece said I do say the the convent was the best finishing school because I learned how to like sit appropriately and like you know walk a certain way and speak a certain way and like really and it comes in really handy now for like networking or when I'm um mm-hmm. in large gatherings with people to be able to like have those conversations um that are like not you know don't stir the pot too much <laughs> um, yeah. but oh um, my god yeah these are things that were taught in in formation Okay, so can you tell the story of, I don't know that you, this is allowed without names, tell the story of the shower. <laughs> okay, she's going to tell this story, and then we're going to go into talking about Pax Valerie, and then she's going to tell oh. us how she left, and then we'll we'll wrap it up here. But tell us the story of the shower. This is so funny to me. So this was before my time in the convent, but the sisters who were involved told me about it. And I thought it was hilarious. Um, we, and I, we, they just loved, we all did loved pulling pranks on each other. And um, there was one sister, she was taking a shower. So the, in the novitiate, once you're a professor, so you get your own bathroom, but in the novitiate, um, it was kind of like dorm style, you know, mm-hmm. and there was a sister who started running a bath for her, for her bath. 
and um enough she like left as the tub was filling up and while she was gone another sister locked the door from the inside so she couldn't get back into the shower and she the sister went back and she was like what the heck I can't get back in the water is gonna fill up and overflow whatever and so she tried to go under the stall and got stuck <laughs> she and was bigger she was a bigger woman <laughs> she was and she got stuck and she was under there like screaming at the sister she knew who did it yelling at her and the other sister was like laughing and laughing and then the superior could hear this from outside because where the bathrooms and bedrooms are is supposed to be silent um it's called enclosure and she came in the superior came in she was like what is going on and the other sister who like had locked the other sister out jumps into another stall and turns the water on she's fully habited because she wanted (laughs) she wanted it to seem like she was just in the shower you know yeah but it was so funny because I can just picture this taking place in enclosure you know you're supposed to not talk to each other unless it's like absolutely essential and like when you do it's whisper only because enclosure is supposed to be a place of prayer and just um not really where we like would hang out and do these things so it's just funny it's just and another layer of it was that they just they didn't get along in general right yes they didn't get along in general so they were constantly like pranking each other. That's but we hilarious. did these things. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Oh my gosh. Well, Marilis, when I said Pax Valerie, you knew right away who we were talking yeah. about. Um, yeah. So Valerie has a shop named Pax Beloved. And she just has like the best artwork. Marilis knew of it because it's so distinct and yeah. you know, exactly like when I say everyone kind of can go ex- like to her style mm-hmm. and her style is just so original. So it, she offers like all Catholic artwork and gifts again, yeah. Megan and I have talked about this, but like holidays and everyone's saying that there's going to be no Christmas gifts this year because of COVID and they can't get production up. I'm like, perfect. Another reason to shop and support. Yep. Shop small. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Businesses. Yep. So her mission is to design Catholic art that is beautiful, relatable, and ultimately leads to the heart of the father. So she's doing just that. Megan, what were you going to say? You said relatable. And I'm literally looking at a visitation print she has right now where Elizabeth has her hands on Mary's tummy while Elizabeth's also pregnant. And it instantly made me think of the post I made yesterday of my girlfriend and I with our bellies touching each other. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this would be such a cute print to get your girlfriend who's pregnant at the same time as you. That is. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. So she's again, so generous. She's giving 20% off to you all with code. What in the dang heck, all caps, no spaces. What in the dang heck for 20% off. And you can find all the links to our Instagram and shop in our show notes. Okay. Marilis. Now tell us what made you or not, not just get into what you feel. Okay. Sharing, but kind of how did you discern out? And then how did it feel once you left? Yeah, so discerning out was probably the hardest, scariest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, I had only lived as a sister, really. My, you know, at that point, my entire religious, my entire adult life was as a sister. So it was probably like three years before I actually left, two or three years. It's hard to like actually remember when I started thinking this wasn't for me. Um, 
but it really just came down to the fact that I was so becoming like losing who I was and becoming so miserably unhappy that I knew I could no longer go on living in that way. Um, and that Jesus does not desire for us to be unhappy. There's a difference between suffering and something being across um, to the point where, and like no longer being able to recognize yourself because you're so sad all the time. Um, And a lot of it, you know, like any family unit, there's dysfunction in all convents and all communities. Mm -hmm. Um, But it came to the point where I couldn't reconcile my own personal woundedness and dysfunction with an entire community's dysfunction. And so, and just a lot of like different things that had taken place um, Mm -hmm. in my eight years that I was there, especially towards the end. Like once I started working in the apostolate that I just was so sad (laughs) um, that I knew I couldn't continue. And so I did ask to leave. Um, And I remember I went to stay with my spiritual director in Philadelphia for about a week, like the week I decided to leave. And even then I was like, I'm just going through a phase. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I, I was so afraid of leaving because I didn't know what was on the other side of leaving. And I remember just at one point breaking down to him about no longer being a bride of Christ. Like that was such an identity for me. And it felt like not having that, I would cease to exist almost. Mm. Um, Gosh, that's so like, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it was real. It was really, really hard. I mean, even thinking about it now and talking about it, like I almost want to cry, you know, like thinking Mm -hmm. back on it, but yeah, I remember telling him like, father, like if I'm no longer sister Mary Manuela, like I no longer am at all. And, and he was like, so he was just such a father. He said, you know, like you are always, always like his beloved, regardless of your vocation to religious life, or if you're called to marriage or out in the world, whatever it is, like you are always just such like, so beloved to him. And, um, but so that week, I remember mother was going to be coming to the, to the, um, to my spiritual director's rectory where I was staying. And, um, and I remember thinking, I'm just going through a phase. Um, once I see her, I'm going to go back with her. You know, she came with another sister and the father asked me if I wanted to go with him to the airport to pick, pick them up. And I remember as soon as I saw her um, at the airport before they even got in the car, as soon as, you know, we pulled up and I saw them, I just knew I wasn't going to be going back with them. And yeah, I told mother that that day, I think that I wasn't going to be going back and that I wanted to discern out. And since I wasn't in final vows, it was really a very simple process. Mm -hmm. Um, All I had to do was write a letter to our mother general. Um, the, The community I was in is a worldwide congregation. So there was the mother of the United States, but then there was like the mother of the entire world's wide congregation and she was in Germany. So all I had to do was write her a letter saying, I, you know, no longer want to be a sister. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And at yeah. that point you discern not only out of the community, but out of the vocation. Yeah. I mean, that, that came later. Um, that came later, uh, probably while I was walking the Camino. So after I left the continent, <laughs> I went and walked the Camino de Santiago and 
and yeah I just thought well maybe it's just not to this community or I'm there's just so much hurt that I need to like not you know like I wasn't even considering marriage at all that really even that came much later but um I just knew definitely was not to that community that congregation Mm -hmm. my vocation yeah but it was really hard and like I was so afraid of what life had in store for me because I didn't know like I didn't have a bank account I didn't have regular clothes you know I was in my habit still I was in my habit for a few days even after I left until I got some things together um yeah I'd never like I didn't even have a phone at that point um it just was all kinds of scary yeah yeah it's not like God I've never written a resume before Uh, right it's almost like, I hate to compare it to that, but like when you, like when someone would come out of jail, it's like, what do you, like, you have nothing. Like, where do you live? Right. Like, what do you do? Like, you, you know, all of right. that. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. So it was really scary. some people asked like, what's your dream job now that you're out and you're like, you've discerned, because would you say that you've discerned the vocation of marriage now? Yeah. So, um, Yeah. And I wasn't even really open to marriage because I had thought about religious life for so long and really felt like that was where I was supposed to be. Um, And so I remember asking Jesus, like, if this is something like if I'm supposed to get married, you need to like put that desire in my heart. And he did. Um, But yeah, ideally, like my I like dream job is to be like a stay at home wife and mom. but I'm kind of living the life now as a stay-at-home single woman. Yes! You and, <laughs> you and Cease both. I love this so much. Stay-at-home single woman. Heck yeah. It really has been great. I mean, I love to travel. So it'd be great to like find something where I could get paid to travel and show people holy places. Um, but I am getting a PhD in Just clinical for fun. psychology. So I guess I, you know, might do something with you know. that. Um, but I really kind of, I tell Cecilia, I'm not afraid. I like, I'm not ashamed to admit this, but I really, for me, school right now is a filler. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm like, what else would I do? Yeah. My, you know, and she um, likes it. I mean, you like it. Yeah, I do. I like it. I like, I like the field a lot. I, you know, I'm grateful that it was actually my sisters who asked me to, to study psychology. So I'm grateful for them for starting this process for me, but yeah, it's not like I, you know, have aspirations to go change the world through psychology someday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, also what, how old were you when you got sent to the Vatican to live? How many years were you there then as a sister? I was there almost three years. Um, and I was, it was shortly after profession. So I was like 24. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dang. So yeah, yeah, some sisters yeah, just get sent there right after I made first vows. So, but they, they called but anyway, but yeah. So mother called me into her office. I was in school to study, to be a teacher. Um, and which I loved, I had, you know, like my dream job as a sister was to like teach fourth grade in Oklahoma, like <laughs> in so Oklahoma. Specific. Yeah. I just, well, we had a school in Oklahoma that was, um, that served um, people within the lower socioeconomic status. Okay. So it was like a Catholic school, but it was, you know, they served poor and needy. And I don't know, I just wanted to live out in the Midwest. <laughs> like I just had these, that was my, 
I like never, and I still don't have these like grand plans for my life of being any, anybody, you know, like life changing or changing the world. I just always wanted to like be hidden in my own little corner with Jesus doing whatever he called me in to Oklahoma. do. So, <laughs> in Oklahoma, like to me, that was like, I loved it. The, the fields, I was just like, I, this is it for me. I want to teach at this school. I teach fourth grade. And um, so I was back in school uh, studying to be a teacher. I was only in school one semester because I went home for Thanksgiving break. Mother called me into her office and she was like, you're going to be going to serve the church. And I was like, when do I start that? And she, this was in November. She goes on January 1st. And so I was like, so I have to drop out of school again. <laughs> and I did. And it was, yeah, it was a crazy time. My and first you traveled, was, you traveled with like Pope Francis and stuff. Yeah. So my first year was, wow. was all of that. Just um, preparing for Pope Francis's apostolic visit to the United States and getting to hang with him and, you know, the entourage that he traveled with. It was kind of crazy. I look back on that time and I'm like, what was that? I remember my mom, my mom too was hilarious because she was so excited and she was like can you ask him to bless a rosary and I was like yeah I guess I can and she goes okay I'm gonna send a box over I was like a box this is work mom I can't just like box of rosaries rosaries yeah and I mean there were all these like rules we had to follow like you can't be taking a selfie with the holy father that's just for everybody else (laughs) like well that's great okay you know um, it's insane Marilis is the most interesting person I've ever met (laughs) It was quite a time. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to think. Megan, was there any like outlier, just quick, funny questions? No, really. The, the, what do you wear for PJs was the most important one on my uh, side of things. <laughs> I just had to know. And then we wore swimsuits to swim. A lot of people ask me that too. Like, really? We yeah. We wore swimsuits. Wow. So if oh. you have any sisters that are your friends, send them pajamas. Cause they'll actually like yeah. that. They will actually wear them. Yeah, they'll wear them, cozy, look cute in them, the have their moment. Stationary, always make good gifts because we couldn't, you know, we didn't have a phone or email for a long time even. Mm, uh, wow. Yeah. Dang. Okay. Well, this is so good. This is a little longer, but I feel like this is going to help so many women be like, oh, like normal women have a vocation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I am not the holiest person. I thought that too, when I was discerning, I thought I'm not holy enough to be a sister, but Jesus called the apostles, you know? Yeah. True. Mm-hmm. Yep. True. I love this girl. Well, you can find Marilis. Oh, just real fast. Her Instagram is X none on the run. And her- <laughs> Her and I were getting drinks and I was trying to tag her in a story on Instagram. I'm like, Marilis, what is your Instagram name? I can never remember it. And she's like, it's X nun on the run. I was like, this whole time, I thought it was a Latin word called exunarunum. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I literally Easy. thought, I was like, what does exunarunum mean? Well, it's because you thought like, since I love Latin so much. Yeah, I would have like a Latin Instagram handle. I was like, no, it's not that complicated. (laughs) Golly. Yeah, check her out. I'll link it in our show notes, but she's literally the best to follow. She shares so much truth and is super just pop, pop in in the pro-life movement. So I love her. You'll see in our wedding photos. Can't wait. uh, 
Sammy make sure to call our hotline at 312-775-2615 with all your heck yes and heck no moments. And we will talk to you next Monday. Bye. 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 Thanks a ton for listening to the What in the Dang Heck podcast. Make sure you call our hotline, subscribe, leave a rate and review, and might as well follow us on Instagram while you're at it.